brother, 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 how you make them get down? I keep my flows well greased, still got pep in my crown. Put this rapping on the stroll, let it bring me some cake. We in the land with soul, something these haters can't take. The people are ready, so lick shots and pour the confetti. I emerge from underground to pulverize cities with my timeless rhyme bus. Apocalypse blast, all gaze dispel dust. All right, welcome to the Revenue Love Podcast. I'm here with three industry experts. We've got just a room full of value here for you guys today. We're all called in. We're all in different locations. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of go down the list, and I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. I, I've got Philip Lockwood here. I've got Devin Real, and I've got Brent Brewer. These are some of the heaviest hitters that I know. So Philip Philip Lockwood owns a company called Creation Chamber. It's located in Denver. Devin owns a company called Engine 8, and he's located in Costa Rica. Which is At the moment, cool. yep. And then we got Brent Brewer all the way from uh, Canada, eh? Welcome, Brent. <laughs> so uh, let, let's let you guys give a quick little intro so everybody kind of gets a, a feel for who you are. You, you want to kick it off, Devin? Sure. Yeah, so um, I've got about 15 years of experience doing uh, design, development, sales, and strategy. And my wife, Asia, and I run uh, an, a digital agency called Enginate, um, originally based in Chicago. A lot of our team's still in Chicago. Um, and uh, outside of the sort of digital space, I guess, before I got into this field, uh, I had some different kinds of jobs. I logged uh, like 300 miles of ocean paddling as a wilderness kayaking guide. Uh, I spent about a decade as a touring professional funk drummer. I mean, these things don't line up, <laughs> but I got a lot out of both those uh, experiences. And let's see what else. I'm, I'm a father of twins. I'm an avid surfer now, and I'm currently wrapping up uh, our first year living and working abroad, as as John mentioned, here in Costa Rica. So, business is still based in the states, but we're doing our work and living here. Yeah, that's awesome. Not, I've known Devin for years. It's a super strong company. And uh, let's see, what we got next. How about Phil Lockwood? Go ahead, my man. I'd kind of rather hear more from Devin about being down in Costa Rica and surfing. <laughs> I think it's a lot more interesting. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'm a lifelong artist. I kind of got into this business as a graphic designer, I'd say about 20 years ago. And it was only about 16 years ago that I started my own agency right after getting laid off during the dot-com bust. So I started Creation Chamber, home-based business at the time, but we grew 100% year over year for about as long as I can remember. We got it up to about 70 people around 2007. And I had a bunch of business partners that I had brought on at that time. So uh, we found ourselves in a situation during that downturn in 2008 where things just weren't very much fun. So we kind of went separate directions and I reinvented the agency, took it down to a virtual agency model for a number of years. And it really wasn't until about a year ago when you could say we were essentially a one person shop when I decided that it was time to grow it again. So we've been doing that. And now we're about a 10 person shop as far as full-time equivalent people go. And we are still virtual though, spread all around. In fact, we've got three partners in the company. I'm one in Denver. Uh, and then I have two minority partners in Austin and Manhattan. But we, we spent the majority of our existence primarily as a website shop, so website design development and everything related to that. But about a year ago, decided to really expand more into the digital marketing side 
And that's been kind of my big biggest focus for the past year is getting us into heavily into inbound and just other aspects of digital marketing. Right on. Awesome. And then we got Brent Brewer here from Canada. So Brent, go ahead and introduce yourself, buddy. Yeah, I'm up here representing Fredericton, New Brunswick in Atlanta, Canada. Um, I've got a company, Essential Studios. We're about nine years old now. A uh, completely virtual model, uh, which fills in the process of moving away from. We've got about 50 plus independent contractors in the mix, all of whom come in and go at the right time in the right place. So we, we do a lot of shuffling of resources. My background actually is in e-learning. So I have an extensive professional career in e-learning. I also have extensive education on that front too and uh, with a master's in instructional design. And I've worked throughout the design and development um, on the multimedia front throughout as well. So I actually started Essential Studios on the side while I was in university. And I had a full-time gig at the university after completing studies, but the business was growing. And I like being my own, my own boss and being responsible for the wins and the losses, as you can imagine. So um, the timing was right and made the transition and I you know, have zero regrets. So we're thriving and our current focus, um, we have been more on the website build side. We're still on the website build side and the digital marketing front, but our biggest thing is like helping people get really in tune with like where they're going. So that long-term vision and ensuring that all the steps align with that. Right on, very, very concise as always. Brent, Brent Brewer is uh, probably the most organized of all of us. <laughs> I, should, I should just start by saying that. This guy makes me feel like a slacker every time we chat. Like, love this guy. So hey, I'm curious, because you and Devin both mentioned, because I have a virtual agency too, right? Now Phil's moving into to going back into more of a, a growth mode, I guess, Phil. So, but Phil, you're you're still virtual, even though you're hiring employees and people, we're all kind of virtual, right? Yeah, uh, and ours, I guess, was slightly less virtual <clears throat> just a month ago. When one of my other partners was in the office, we had a third person in the office. It looked like things were growing in that direction. But then one of my partners said she was she, she wanted to move to New York. So she up and moved to New York. And then the third guy said, you know what, you can just work from home if you want. It's more efficient. Save yourself the commute. So we're kind of embracing it. And uh, I think it'll be fun to really have not just employees all over the place, but to actually have partners represented in these different cities and to be able to grow smaller teams, networks in those areas, in addition to the people that we have worldwide. What, what I think is amazing, if, six years ago, if we would have said we're virtual agencies, people would say, oh, so you don't have a job. You work out of your basement. <laughs> it was totally different. But now, do you guys, does anybody ever run into a client that's like, oh, we don't want to work with somebody that doesn't have a team in-house? You guys ever run into that? Never. I've never run into it. No, and, and actually, uh, the, I find that um, simply telling them that, like, we basically are giving ourselves access to a massively larger pool of talent uh, 
typically actually makes them feel a lot better. They think about it for a second and then they go, oh yeah, that makes a lot, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. You're not just picking people in New York City or Chicago or wherever you are. All right, so we dispelled that myth, right? I mean, Phil, does anybody ever say? No, because Phil, you've worked with, I'm just going to read a couple of names. Here. <laughs> Phil, Phil has worked with Dish Network, uh, Denver Broncos, MapQuest, Frontier Airlines. You have some huge names in your portfolio. So do you still work with these kind of guys, or do they, would they rather have an in-house team? Uh, we still work with some big brands. We have hundreds of clients now, actually active clients. The majority of them are not big brands, but I think by and large, the fact that most of them are actually out of state, they're, they're remote for us. We didn't, we never even meet these people. I haven't met 95% of our clients in person. So the question never really comes up, but for other situations, we certainly don't try to play up the virtual component of our agency because I do think that some of our clients would raise an eyebrow. You know, at the end of the day, though, it comes down to the same things as having a full in-house local staff, which is if you're showing that you do good work, if you're showing that you're legitimate, then you're going to get a lot of leeway. So I think when it comes to being virtual, if you're a three-person virtual shop, I could see some clients, some prospects having some concerns about that. But if you've got a network of 20, 30 people, you're doing big work for big clients, then it's going to be, t it's going to be difficult for any prospect to try to say that you're, you're not capable of doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, and it, so this pod, I do these podcasts off the cuff. Right? We have a couple of questions that I sent around to everybody for the listeners that we'll, we'll get to. We'll call, it, we'll call it like the speed round or something like that. But I... I like this topic on this virtual agency deal. Um, and you, you mentioned that you still have some big clients. I've got some big clients. I know Devin does, Brent, I know you do too. So that's probably a big question that the listeners are, are, would really love an answer to. How do you even get a big client? You know, I mean, I, I know how I got magnets.com, which was not in a traditional fashion. So, I mean, who, somebody want to take that one real quick? Do you go after the big client or do they come after you? Like how, how does that work? You want me to jump in? Say, okay. Yeah. Go, Brad. Uh, I would say our first largest client uh, I went after. So I had some connections and it was kind of a carryover from our e-learning days, but we worked for the local um, power, power corporation. So, the funny thing was like I was still in university at the time and I had an e-learning agency, which is, it's the same as a marketing agency. It's just more emphasis on the learning less on the sell. Um, and we just went in and pitched them and said, look, we're, we've got a lean team here. We can pull in players whenever you want. We can do everything from the content down to the actual text, technical execution. So this is kind of a no-brainer for you guys. And some people in there knew my work just on a personal level. And sure enough, they gave us like a test project. And then that was fairly small. And then next thing we know, you know, we're into a project that's like 10x that size. And then once you, you know, deliver on that front, there's just a continuous trickle of work. And yeah, I was living in a very small apartment in, you know, with student loans and everything at that time. So, and that was like, you know, 10-ish years ago. So 
I guess I learned pretty early on that physical office rarely, if ever, matters for the big boys. Right on. How, how about you, Phil? Do you go after them or do they come after you? Well, it's no secret to anybody who listens to me that I'm a big fan of Jay Abraham. And one of his things is pillars for business development, right? So it should be from all over the place. That's just the nature of networking and business development. So, I mean, I could look at all uh, the, the top 20 largest clients that we've ever had, and they might be from five different sources. We're, we have a brand new relationship now with Major League Rugby. It's a brand new league, and we're building their very first website. That one came through a partnership with another agency. So that other agency is doing their branding work. They brought us in. They bring us into a lot of big deals like that, especially sports-related. Uh, Anheuser-Busch is one of our clients. That came from Breckenridge Brewery here, which was a local brewery. And we were doing their website. They were acquired by Anheuser-Busch. So there is an intro that way. We also... It, we put our, our name, our logo on the bottom of almost every website we build. I'm surprised more agencies don't still do that today. Remember back in the day, everybody did that. Everybody we get, did that. Yeah. <laughs> we get so much business that way, uh, especially like Breckenridge Brewery. I mean, that one led to Never Summer Snowboards just because they saw our name down there. But you, you look at our analytics and I think 20% of our traffic comes from the Breckenridge Brewery website. You know, it's just the wow. link in the footer really. So. That's another one. And, uh, and then just weird places like the Denver Business Journal Book of Lists. You know, I think their business journal is kind of around the country. Most people probably know something about this. We've been on that list pretty much for the past 16 years. Even though we aren't a huge agency anymore, they keep switching their rules around for what makes an agency large in their definition. And it's, uh, it's currently the number of websites you build per year. And every year I talk to this gal, I'm like, I, we really don't want to do this anymore because it's a farce. I mean, one year we built a website for All About Honeymoons, except it was like a franchise model. So we actually built 75 identical websites for them. So I listed that one, well, that's 75 right there. You know, and so for that year, we've got like 200 <laughs> websites, like the third largest agency in Colorado, according to DBJ, but I was the only employee. But we still get a lot of RFPs, especially through that resource. Wow, that's awesome. That's so you kind of tripped into that one. Seventy-five deals. Yeah, that'll make you look big. Yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. How, Devin? How about you, man? Do you uh, do you target them? No, um, I'd say no. Um, uh, I would say two things about this. One is like, I'd say the biggest the biggest clients that we've worked with have come from. Uh, us just being good at a specific thing and then the word spreading throughout that community. So uh, in our case, it was platform specific. So we had built an expertise on this platform called Adobe Business Catalyst. And let's say it was, it was a fairly niche platform at the time. Uh, that, that specialty and focusing in on that, so you might focus on Shopify, you might focus on WordPress, whatever it is, but focusing in on that and doing really strong work led to two things that I, that I can think of right now. Um, one was uh, basically a, a little startup in Seattle that, uh, yeah, I went to their office. It was like, you know, 23 basically college age uh, interns like crammed in this little office. And like the day I was hired was the same day that their, their engineering uh, like their head of e-commerce was hired like right next to each other. Uh, we were in the same room and 
about a year after that, they were at the point where they had, you know, several hundred thousand monthly subscribers. They, they basically had to, went through this massive amount of growth, all this VC funding, Jay-Z was investing. Uh, it was like a, just a huge spike. And that opportunity just came because the guy that was working for them on their first website, like was in over his head with this platform. And he found us and said, you know, like you guys would handle this much better. Like I want, I want you guys to take this client. So that was one example. And the other example is um, there was another agency when we, when we were in New York city, another agency that wanted to close its doors. So it was actually like pretty similar to Phil. I think they'd grown quite a bit and then the owner scaled it down and she was like, I don't want this anymore. I want something else. And, uh, and she was looking for somebody who could service her clients based on solid work. And, and that, uh, you know, we, we basically absorbed her, her list of clients, which were at the time, much bigger, you know, higher level, larger organizations, larger nonprofits in, in uh, New York city, that kind of thing. So, it was in our case, yeah, really specializing in and getting a good reputation on something. So let's talk about this just for another, I don't know, three or four minutes. Did we all just get lucky? Like, is it just luck and you fall into this stuff? I'm going to say no, but I'm just putting it out there. I want to hear what you guys have to say because I get the question all the time. You know, how did you get sticker mule? How did you get, you know, we even, we did development for that AliExpress website, like the, it's probably second to Amazon, right? So, and people ask us, well, how did you get them? Did you target them? And honestly, my story is just like you guys. Usually they'll see a YouTube video where I'm talking about something and it's it's more just because I'm out there, like the networking, like you guys were saying, the, the agency referrals, the, oh, you should call Edway. They know exactly how to do that. I don't think it's luck. I think it's calculated. What do you guys think? I would think? push... Yeah, I would push back on the luck theory, right? Because uh, specifically in the two examples I just gave you, um, those were just like cold emails that came into us and they were really generic. Like we could have just brushed them off and like, oh, that doesn't sound like a real thing. Um, the, the agency that wanted us to take their clients like did not tell us that out of the gates. They just said, oh, we're looking for someone to handle some overflow work and we don't have the capacity and are you interested in like if we hadn't followed up and then like met those people and and actually just treated them well just i guess kind of common courtesy and good protocol and in, in following up I, neither of those things would have happened but those could have easily fallen under the radar i, I would argue if you didn't go in and, and actually set up a because you, you kind of platform niched right your niche was the adobe business catalyst, yeah, definitely. So that was a conscious i think thing. Yeah, that was sure. that was like the milestone right there is you're you were known as the guy like oh it's business catalyst yeah you should call Devin. like he's the guy yeah we were on a list uh but it was a short list at the time so. <laughs> you, to elaborate so, on what uh to elaborate on what Devin said um i really like what he has to say there and i think that's one thing that Essential Studios was always strong at, even though we've gotten stronger at it um, over the years. And I think this hails from the e-learning background, but in e-learning, we always started with what we called needs analysis. Like you don't touch a project until you do needs analysis and it's a long process. It takes a lot of work. And uh, so we kind of moved that over to the website and today we call that discovery, right? So when those leads hit, 
you know, that's an instant distinguishing point. Like we're going to actually drill down to like who you actually are. And a lot of times people don't even really know who their business is. Right. Um, and then identify measurable objectives that will either hit or not. And you'll know it like there's no more guesswork. Like, did we deliver or did we not deliver? So that's just an instant feeling of being cared for. I think that people experience. So yeah, Devin, I, I really like um, that. That's one of your distinguishing points too. Those generic leads, like those are so easy to just shove aside. But when we have that process in place, we're just like, Oh, let's, let's fire off the process and get this going, see where it goes. So awesome. Yeah. Pre-qualifying will pre-qualify you right out of the deal. I think you got to give them a shot. You got to give them a shot. I didn't think magnets was real when I, you guys know how I got that. That, that at the time that was the biggest client we'd ever signed. I mean, magnets.com doesn't get much bigger for magnet sales than those guys. It was from a YouTube video and the owner of the company called him. He's this Australian guy. Sounded like maybe he'd had a couple beers, you know, and like we're friends now. And he's like, Oi, you know, <laughs> hey, mate, like, your, your video's pretty good. You know, he's got this accent. I'm like, wow, who is this guy, you know? And next thing I know, I find out he's the owner of Magnus.com. And he's like, sounds like you know what you're talking about. We'd rather just pay you to do it. Like, thanks for all the tips and the videos, but I'm not doing this. And boom, hired. And that, that was four years ago. So still a client, still doing... They are on the list. They are one of our top three spenders. I mean, we talk to them every week. They're doing something. They have so that led into customized stickers and all kinds of other stuff. So it was just really, really cool to work with those guys. And that came. I didn't approach them. I didn't go after them. I was just putting value into the marketplace, like you guys are. You know, I was just out there like taking care of customers because that word travels fast. I mean, 90% of the clients we get or inherit, you guys are in this list too, right? 90% of the clients any of us get, they didn't have a good experience with their last shop. They're usually coming yeah. burned. I, I was gonna um I was actually gonna ask you guys uh what lessons you've learned from working with bigger clients. And then I think we could also talk about how underserved everybody is <laughs> in the market. But uh, like two quick lessons that we learned from working with bigger clients. One was um, speed of thought. Like, you know, we had a level of expertise in what we were doing. We had some experience, but uh, when the stakes are a lot higher and there's a lot more people answering to things, um, your speed of thought basically has to ramp up a lot um in in meetings in in decision making so that that was a big growth period for us and i still feel like that had residual positive effects like at this point um one negative was that we got to ourselves in a position with that with the startup in seattle that was um where we we were probably getting 60 percent of our revenue from them so it was one of those things where we had too many eggs in that basket and, you know, eventually they built their own in-house team and they scaled back and like, it was cool because they came back to us a couple of years later, we need help with this or that. But they, there was, we saw that hap coming. Um, but if you get yourself in that position, it's, it feels, feels great because you're making a lot of money, but it can also be really dangerous. Curious. Yeah. Yeah, that's dangerous. But I'd be curious, like if you guys have 
if there's other things you guys have have learned from working with big brands big what's brands. The, what's two lessons you've learned phil you know we've had real mixed feelings about working with bigger brands and seven years ago when I went back to kind of being a one man show for a little while, I really enjoyed working with smaller brands. I felt like they appreciated us more, listened to us more. Uh, we're more realistic in terms of expectations. And I'm not talking about results so much here. I'm talking about working nights and weekends, you know, deadlines and that sort of thing. And then of course, over the years we've built back up with some bigger brands again, and you see the same stuff again, where it's like, all right, we've got six months for this project. Uh, we're going to start off with some internal branding or working with a branding agency. Seven months later, they're done with that side. And then they say, okay, can you get the website done in three weeks? You know, that kind of thing. It still happens. It's crazy. But a lot of times we think about the difference in working with small companies and bigger brands as maybe their expectations from us or the nature of the work, uh, these types of things. But I think one big factor that is easy to ignore or just not notice is the competitive landscape. Like you have to pitch differently. You're going to have to sell differently. You're going to have to do so many things differently because for a small mom and pop, you might go in there and you might be bidding against three other shops who are doing a $4,000, $5,000 WordPress bid, right? I mean, that's what, that's what they're comparing you to. As soon as you start talking to Molson Coors or whomever it is, who are the other agencies, the other shops that are talking to them that you're going against? I mean, these could be big players that everybody knows, international marketing ad agencies. Um, that really just changes the equation because those agencies all operate in a specific way and that becomes the norm for the industry. I think that's really what drives this is that those agencies operate in a perpetual state of missed deadlines and 24 seven work hours. It's, it's kind of insane. So there are exceptions to that rule for sure. But I find that that makes up the minority. I mean, for the most part, by and large, the bigger brands tend to be bigger pains in the butt. And all you're getting out of it is the ability to tell people about it, the ability to put it in your portfolio. There's value there, but everybody's got to determine how much value there is in that. Yeah, there's definitely value there. But I can tell you, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want a whole bunch of big clients. I think it would kill us. I think it would be a soul sucking exercise, <laughs> but it is nice to name drop and, Oh, we did that for so-and-so and it's impressive and it's good. It, I don't think it's necessary to grow a business, but the name dropping is nice. But like you just yeah. pointed out, that's a lot of headache for some name dropping. Well, I would also, I would also make the point that I think there's like tremendous opportunity in the small to medium size business space. Uh, not only cause they're underserved, is just about everybody's underserved that you bump into uh, in one way or one way or another, but they're, they're also really cool businesses like um, and, and often still very tied to their founder, like, or the idea that generated the business. Um, I can think of a couple quick examples. Like I met this guy in Brooklyn who had a super, uh, uh, he basically, you know, worked, I think he worked for, restaurant or something and he started roasting his own coffee beans in his garage and uh you know did this at night like and basically built his own uh custom coffee bean roastery uh and you know came across him at a point in his business where you know you would have never really known who this business was but when you looked at the fundamentals of it you're like this is a, this is an awesome business like they've a ton of demand ton of customers 
Um, we have some other customers that are getting like literally almost a million unique visits to their website a month. And again, like you probably wouldn't even know who that person is. That's not a major brand, but there can be some really solid fundamentals there. Businesses that have been around for 10, 15 years in some niche. We, we like, we all love niches. Um, and I, I just, I think there's like a ton of that stuff to be fine. So we like mining for clients like that, like really interesting businesses that have sound fundamentals. I think there's a lot of them out there. Well, Brent, what's the two lessons you've learned working with the larger companies? You know, listening to you guys, you know, talk about how it can be a bit of a pain. Um, I'm like, man, I must just not be playing with as big a players as these guys are. <laughs> because I have, I've actually found the inverse. I've found the bigger players and the bigger projects to be the easiest to rock out because like generally speaking, you know, they've got some money to play with. So you can put a healthy team of top performers in place, right? And just kind of let them run. So I find I can step out of those bigger projects more easily than the small ones any day. And I don't know what it is, but I just find maybe it's because we're able to put like our A players in every time. They just kind of run. And um, I do find sometimes with the small to medium, um, I have to be careful here because we have like some of our best clients are small and medium. But um, if, if we're not careful enough and we let a scarcity mindset small through, we're toast, right? Because that's going to be the squeaky wheel every time because they don't really, um, they don't really know where they're going. Right. And if you don't really know where you're going, you're perceiving every single expenditure as just losing money versus trying to get at a result. So again, that's why that discovery process is paramount and, the ones who don't want to define things out, John, I got this one from you and I love it. Like they go in the DSM box. And for those of you who don't know what that means, that's the do shit for money box. So, and we serve those DSM clients extremely well. And that's a high percentage of our revenue as well. But if they're in the DSM category, chances are we're going to stick you with um, directly one-on-one -on -one with one of our contractors and let you duke it out with them. And just because of that high tendency towards coming back and kind of complaining and, um, you know, nothing is really ever what it, it was supposed to be because what was supposed to be was never defined. Mm. So, yeah, just interesting. But my gut says, like, you guys are probably playing with some major big players like Phil, did I hear you service Coke before or something? Not Coke. Okay. I think you got lucky in picking a brand where the answer was no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those are definitely the, the ones wine. I'm talking about. We found the one. <laughs> we have, uh, you know, Fortune 1000 clients. They're big, obviously, but the, ex the expectations there are different. And they tend to be very professional, very organized. And it's fun to work with big companies like that because you know you're getting the support. The expertise, um, just the general intelligence, you know, of organizations like that. And I think that those can go very smoothly. It tends to be just the hot brands where you see people who are just in a constant state of chaos, in my experience. Well, I, I think 
probably why Brent does so well is because he's so damn organized. <laughs> probably the best organized of, of all of us. But the one thing I've learned about the big brands, we've worked with Carrier North America and some pretty big manufacturers, they move fast. Like when you work with small, medium sized businesses, you're putting, you know, content down and you have like one week or two week deadlines and they're barely making that, right? It's, things are a little slow, but I've, I've found when you work with the big guys, like shit's just happening all the time. It's like, okay, we're done with that. Let's go to the next one. Let's go, let's go. And it's usually some off the wall weird thing that throws the project off that causes a, oh, we forgot we were doing a commercial on Sunday. Can you throw up a landing page real quick? Like, it's usually something weird like that that just throws things off. Um, but for the most part, probably not the Fortune 1000 companies, but like the 10 to 20 million a year heavy hitters, those guys move fast. Like they make decisions, they move, they usually got a couple of people in the office doing other stuff. It's not, it's not your typical owner, operator, you know, slow poke type of project. Like they have people, they're delegating. So you got to move. That's Devin, you made that comment about quick thinking. You know, they're moving fast. I think that's a hard thing to get used to because if you've only worked with mom and pop shops, like I, our first four years in business, we built contractor sites, you know, and there's mom and pop, local businesses, just easy little marketing sites and then carry North America calls. And it was like, I felt like we got hit in the face. You know, these guys move so fast. So you have to get used to that. I think I'm on that, wondering if, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Deb. I'm just wondering, uh, I have no data to back this. This is pure assumption, pure speculation. I'm wondering if this is some kind of a cultural difference between Canada and the U.S. Oh, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Even was, though it probably is, let's not go there. Brett was born, there. born in a lake, came out with syrup in his mouth. <laughs> he is Canadian. Um, what I was going to say was uh, sort of, I guess, an inverse thing to think about with this. Like when you get into the small and medium-sized market, um, one of the one of the main questions that we ask in our discovery process is like uh, we try and get it. We try and ask questions that gauge whether they are capable of strategic thinking and sticking with strategies. And so. You know, when's the last time you guys ran a campaign? How long did that last? Uh, when's the last time you tried a specific marketing channel? How long did you do that? Um, you know, have you, have you, do you set quarterly goals? Do you set monthly goals? Are you just like responding to fires, that kind of thing? Um, and then another one that's, that's a really good question to ask is, uh, what are you measuring and how are you measuring it? That question opens up a whole, range of things and i think it can really unlock sort of like some of the ways they're underserved because i mean I, there are people that we may do like i'm just thinking of one example the contractor and they actually work with a digital marketing agency like a different one and um i've asked like they're doing all kinds of things they're they're you know running facebook campaigns maybe they're running like local SEO campaigns, things like that. But then when I ask, like, what are you measuring? <clears throat> they can't really answer that. And so that's kind of telling to me that, that that person's underserved or that they're not necessarily taking a strategic look at how to go about that kind of work. 
So I got a surprise question for you guys. Just we'll switch gears here real quick. So I want you to imagine uh, you're starting over. All of your clients are gone. There's no money coming in. You're, you are at ground zero. What's the first thing? You, so you still want to start an agency. You're still going forward with that. But what's the first thing that you would do? Like what is the most important thing that you got to get done and lock down? You know, thinking of hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Going back to the original days when you started, comparing it to where we are now, what do you think would be the first thing you would do if you had a second time to go around on this? Um, I know what I would do. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> I would pick one channel and one tool, and I would get really good at that. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything else for, I mean, I guess I'm throwing out an arbitrary period of time, but like at least a year, I would just, I would become an, yeah, I'd be a complete master and expert that because in that, because uh, you will not find, you'll not have trouble. I mean, the way training is these days, like you could get yourself and a team up to speed very quickly, like, you know, uh, on that thing. And then you would have a pipeline. I mean, you'd want to be smart about picking the tool, right? And the channel, but I mean, there's so many to choose from. You could do paid traffic. You could do email marketing. You could do e-commerce. You could do website builds. You could do local SEO. There's like a million things you could do, but I would pick one and just like nail that. And I think you'd have plenty of business and it'd be really simple. And then once you lock that down, like add another one. That's awesome. That's really good advice. Phil? Virtually identical answer to Devin. In fact, we've been talking about this for the past few weeks. Uh, having re somewhat recently made the uh, the switch from being solely focused on website design development to being full service digital agency, you know, we had eight months under our belts of kind of doing everything related to digital marketing, and then said, "All right, so let's reevaluate here. Like, is this the best way to do it?" wide and shallow, you know, and trying to grow that way? Or should we say, okay, now that we've gotten the lay of the land, should we pick something and then say, we'll focus on that. We'll hire one person who's very good at that thing. And then as soon as it makes sense, hire another person to do another thing and, and expand out that way. It's a tough question to answer because of the situation we're in right now, just in terms of where we've gone, what our clients need, what our client base looks like and, and that sort of thing. But if I was starting over, no doubt about it. It would be picking one thing and starting over 16 years ago. So I guess I would have picked like uh, MySpace. MySpace marketing, <laughs> that's what we would do. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> Devin could play the drums for your intro, for your MySpace. <laughs> yeah. 16 years ago. <laughs> well, Brent, what would you do? Starting all over, man. What's the first thing, first thing you do? I would have built my business from the ground up not requiring me to work in it. So I know that kind of cuts against the grain of how we're, we're told you've got to grow your business, but um, it's taken me, I think I spent too much time stepping into where I'm best, which is kind of steering the vision and the processes and like kind of the bigger picture. I spent too many years in the guts and I'm not sure why I stayed there. You know, from my perspective today, I'm starting to think it's a self-love thing. I think the more we, we kind of 
learn to appreciate ourselves and care for ourselves, the more time we're going to spend in that um, important, not urgent quadrant of activity. So that would be my biggest thing is, I, you know, if, if that means taking a loan, you know, I was always kind of risk averse, so I didn't want to take loans. Um, take a loan from the get-go, sit where I was good and put the players in place. And the thing will either run or it won't, right? And if it doesn't run, don't try to get into the guts and make it run. Start another thing that will run. So, yeah. Don't be afraid to pull the plug and switch gears. That's right. But have a clearly defined vision, but be laser, just like what you said, Devin, be laser on that vision for like a good solid year or two. And if it fails, it fails. But at least you can say, I, I walked in one path for those couple of years. I don't think you that's, can fail if you walk in that's one That's super insightful because the other thing is think about how much time people that run agencies spend extracting themselves from the guts, right? Like that's what you're saying. You, you did spend all that time, but we we're like, you hear a lot of talk about processes, building processes, building a team, building a culture, like uh, staying strategic. Like, but we all started maybe in the trenches and then we extracted out. <laughs> We're like removing ourselves slowly. But yeah, I think that's that's super insightful. Yeah, and that's the assumption. And maybe it's the true assumption. Maybe I'm just being naive and maybe that's there's a logical necessity to that. But we all kind of start with the assumption we have to start from the bottom up and we have to understand all the moving parts and before we can pass it on to somebody versus just pulling in somebody who's good at it and kind of trusting them to do their thing right so i don't know maybe if i start over again someday here i'll let you know how it plays out <laughs> that new process no this is super super insightful i think everybody listening loves this stuff um you guys ready for speed round speed sure. round i'm gonna throw some questions sure. at, you, at you there's uh there's no right or wrong answers we can edit this out no I'm just kidding I don't edit anything, so <laughs> if my dogs come busting in the door, y'all are going to hear. Um, let's, let's do speed round. These are questions that I think really help everybody kind of get to where they want to go. Um, Brent, let's, let's start with Brent. So first question for you, Brent. What's the best business advice you've ever received? Best business advice was when I was working in the uh, government sector a boss of mine who I would say is an older version of me. Like he thinks identically I'm big into personality assessment. I would argue he's probably the same personality type, just a more mature version. He recognized in me very early on my propensity for perfectionism and as uh, have we, as have we. Yeah. <laughs> and working, you know, working above and beyond what was actually required. And he said to me, and it's always stuck with me, he said, Brent, you need to realize, man, like your 80% is many people's 150%. So just relax a little bit, would you? <laughs> That's awesome. So just, just to give everybody some context, because I'm throwing some jabs at you, but it's all in love. I love you, man. This is funny, oh, yeah. though. So we're all in this mastermind together. You know, I get together with these guys every month, and we have like this agenda in the Google Drive. Everybody's agenda looks the same. It's a simple column system. What'd you do last month? What are you going to do this month? There's some questions on there. 
you open Brent's agenda and it's color coded and it's organized. It's got font styles and it, yeah, you're uh, you're definitely definitely big on the details, which I really appreciate. I think it's awesome. And I would argue though, while I'm a detail guy, I'd like to zoom out too, right? And it's the zoom out that kind of informs what I'm going to do with the detail. So I I'm continuously zooming in and out, in and out. So, but yeah. That that advice went a long way. I wish I could tell you I'm, you know, implementing it well, but I did detect it in Tim Ferriss's new book, Tools of Titans. One of the guys in there said, I think he's from Amazon. He used the 80% rule because he's like, if I just give 80% on everything I do, I can fit more in my life. Yeah, that's, that's huge. I mean, people ask me all the time about my work schedule and what's my day look like. And I, I have to say, I probably take more time off than I probably should, but it's because I have a target and a plan and I kind of know what's going on and I set these things in motion and it, it's just, it makes it easier. I, you know, five years ago I had 20 balls in the air and spaghetti all over my desk and I'm trying to put out fires and make everybody happy because I had no discovery process. I had no questioning process. I'm just, yeah, we can do that. And I'm throwing numbers around. And I was playing cleanup for 12 hours a day. Now we have a process and everything's lined out. We get the details and we have a plan. So if I'm on target with the plan, I don't have to stay up until nine o'clock and I'm doing stuff. I can leave at one o'clock because I hit the milestone. I'm done. So I don't do that all the time, but I, as you guys know, I also get up at four o'clock in the morning, so I leave the office pretty early. Uh, here, second question for you, Brent. How do you stay motivated? Um, the biggest thing for me in life is this continuous striving for like increased levels of self-mastery and competence across all domains of life. So that's the way I'm built. Anybody who knows me will tell you probably one of the first things he's a lifelong learner and I just have to keep soaking in new information and it's never enough to just like soak it in. Like I have to actually put it to the test. So when I was in university, I studied philosophy and don't hate me too bad. My U S comrades here, but I got kind of big into Marxian uh, philosophy and economics. So we just um, lost half the audience. <laughs> I actually went down with my family to live in Cuba to like see this stuff, right? Wow. And it totally changed my perspective on it. But that's the way I've always been built is I need to soak in the information, put it to the test, see what holds true and what breaks down. That's what really motivates me. And one very practical step that I'm using these days is um I go for early morning drives in my car, not on a nice motorcycle like you, John, but um, I put on some nice music and I make sure it's when like the sun is rising. And then I have these things that I call gratitude blasts where I just kind of say out loud in the midst of all the beauty and the feeling of forward momentum, like, thank you. And I just, I just let it resonate. Thank you. And I just get amazing surges of energy in those moments and man it's been one of the greatest kind of routines i've built into my life that's awesome so so what's next for you i mean i know what's next because we have our monthly meetings but what 
this so April twenty first, twenty eighteen. Where are you going to be? What's next? So I'm going to talk. I guess a little bit bigger picture, but uh, right yeah. now I'm quite conscious. My mindset is pivoting from achievement more to like ecology. So you know, I'm achievement oriented. I like to hit outcomes. Um, I've done that most of my life. And some of that's wrapped up in ego. Some of it's authentic, like legit, right? Um, but I want to shift that focus. I'm going to keep achieving no matter what. But I want to like see the bigger picture. Like where does this all fit um, in, the, in the bigger picture? Like I'm talking world picture in the end. So um, I want to take in more territory with Essential Studios. So I want to grow that to seven figure per year, which I know some of you guys are already hitting or close to um, and attracting, you know, even higher caliber team members and clients. And then I want to think more and more in terms of community. So more and more ways to give back to the world. Um, some people call that sending the ele elevator back down. So Essential Studios right now is exploring setting up bursaries. And specifically, we want to put those in the domains of like philosophy and spiritual or religious studies. I know myself, like being somebody who's philosophically oriented, you know, I could have studied that stuff forever. And I'll probably go back and do a PhD in philosophy. And, but you've always got the tension too, because I like real world results. So I would love to be um, the opportunity for somebody to be able to pursue that side of life in addition to the other side without all that financial pressure and feeling like, you know, how am I going to feed my family while I study philosophy? Um, I think that, that those forms of thinking make us a little bit more human in some ways. And some of those people I've encountered in the business world, you know, they're very philanthropic by nature. So, and lastly, I just want to start sharing more and more of some of these insights of gains on the philosophical side and business side, um, getting those into, you know, blog posts. I have a number of them written. It's time to get those out there and just give them. I just want to give those away. Share ideas. So yep. that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. You ready, Phil? Speed round? Yeah. This, I don't know how fast this is. It's not really a speed round. <laughs> just fire these off to you. So, so best business advice that you've ever received? My answer to this changes every time I get asked this question. But <laughs> after the last time, I was like, you know what? I actually have a much better answer because this is, I, I think, by far the best business advice I've ever been given. Do not merge with Xylem. Was some <laughs> advice once given to me. And you know how they say that your biggest regrets in life are the chances you didn't take? Sometimes they're the chances you did take. And this mm. was one of those. Um, you know, at the time, I only merged with this company because I was like, I want to sell. I want to get out of this business. I want to be done. And I think that the best way to do it is to bring on a complementary side to our business that already has some very high-profile clients. We'll build it up for about a year and sell it. Well, three months after the merger, I got a call from uh, an East Coast company that was public that wanted to buy a creation chamber for millions of dollars. And I said, this actually sounds like the perfect deal for us right before we merged, but now we're not even 
a good fit for you. So they ended up buying somebody else down the road, the road from us. And of course the deal that I put together with Xylem did not work out well. Within two years, we had just gone our separate ways and mergers and acquisitions was kind of a dead opportunity at that point. Lost a lot of money in it and certainly added a lot of stress to my life. So if I could go back, I would definitely change that and things would be very different today. So that was some good advice that I wish I would have taken, but Hey, things happen, right? Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's, that's, we're all going to hit something like that someday. Um, so what do you do to stay motivated? How do you keep excited about this? Well, I learn more and more about myself every year and what keeps me motivated. But, uh, one thing that I've learned is that I really thrive on structure. So there can be weeks where I just feel like oh, I'm not motivated and I'm not doing enough to, to generate results, what's going on. But if I sit down and get to inbox zero and put all of my to-dos in some great system instead of on post-it notes, I feel like, wow, I'm, I'm prepared. I am set up for success for the day, for the week, for the month. And that motivates me. It's like an instantaneous thing. It's kind of like what Brent was talking about with gratitude. I mean, a lot of people use that just to bring themselves up. It's not necessarily for motivation for them, but, you know, I feel down. Well, you practice real gratitude for 20 minutes and it just changes your attitude. That's how I am when I get structure in my life. And when I get really busy, really bogged down, a little behind, it's harder for me to maintain structure. I immediately let the inbox start to pile up start to use post-it notes and just kind of scramble to get things done instead of taking the time to get every single task, every single to do into our PM system, but it makes a big difference. And, uh, the other thing is I read a lot and I try to read more and more. I wish I could read a book a day, but I choose, you know, specific books. I'm not reading literature, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I find it very motivating to read, um, biographies, you know, memoirs, uh, business leaders, that sort of thing, to see how they took something from nothing and built it into something. Like I can read one of those in a weekend and it'll motivate me. That'll keep me going for three weeks afterwards right there. So if I can just keep that going back to back, it makes a huge difference for me. Awesome. And so what's next? What's next for you? Well, I mean, the, the short answer would be growing this company. And I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. We're hiring, we're trying to do everything to uh, make this into a bigger, better agency again. But I think that would also, that's the easy answer. And the real thing that I would like to be able to look back in a year and say that I've changed is that I found a new level of passion for my business. Uh, I talked about Jay Abraham, everybody who's ever heard me talk before also knows I like Tony Robbins. So I was at a Tony Robbins event where he was asking people like, how many of you got into the business that you're in because it was passed down from family? How many because you just had a passion for it? So he gets to the end of this spiel and he says, how many of you just got into this line of work because of the money and you're not really passionate about it. And I was like, Oh, that one's me. And I put my <laughs> hand up like now finally I'm going to get some great advice on what I can do about this. And he says, you guys have two options. Get the F out and get the F out. And, uh, <laughs> my feelings were hurt because I'm like, this is awful news for me. But at the same time, I'm like, I think Tony's brilliant, but I'm going to prove him wrong because I do enjoy my work. Anyone should enjoy this line of work. And there are ways, I mean, we're talking about digital marketing here, you know, that you can apply that to any number of things. I could say, I'm very passionate about children's causes and I'm only going to do marketing for children's causes. And I constantly daydream, like 
fantasize about the possibility of one day doing everything that we do for nonprofits for free. Like we get corporate sponsors or something and we just do whatever is required to, to fund the operation. But we're going out and providing the same level of services that we're doing for brands like Jimmy John's and Denver Broncos, but we're doing it for these little nonprofit organizations or big nonprofit organizations who couldn't afford to get something even one tenth of that quality. You know, so when you can find another reason for doing it, the passion can appear even if it was never there. So I do look forward. I feel like I'm already on that track. Uh, I'm more passionate today about this business than I was six months ago, for sure. But I look forward to 12 months from now, looking back and saying, this is, this is what life is all about. You know, I found a way to connect this with something more meaningful than just money and, uh, to really be jazzed about getting up every day and never feel like I need to take a vacation or a break. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, Devin, what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, well, it's advice. I don't know if it's business specific, but I, there's this book called the four agreements and the four agreements are to one, be impeccable with your word two don't take things personally. Three, don't make assumptions and four, do your best. And so those four, um, pieces of advice, like are really good guides for for business. I mean, if you think about how many times you've made an assumption based off of an email or a call or even just nothing, uh, uh, or, you know, taking things personally, uh, within your team, um, being impeccable with your word in terms of doing what you say you're going to do when you're going to do it, doing your best. I mean, I really appreciate that. And it's, it helps me in my marriage and, and with my kids too. So I, I really uh, that's like huge. That's, what was the first one again? The first one. Be impeccable with your word. Yeah. Don't take things personally. Don't make assumptions. Do your best. I mean, if do, you can do those. Do what you say you're going to do. I, th yeah. I think that's 90% of the battle. If you just do what you say you're going to do, you're already treating clients better than they've been treated. You yeah. Know? And believe yeah, me, I'm, I'm not calling anybody out on that because I used to do that stupid shit where they call you and you're like, oh, yeah, that's easy. I'll do it today. And by the end of the day, you're like, crap, I promised like 15 people that I would do that today. Yeah. I guess I'm working until midnight, you know, right. or I got to call somebody and say, sorry, I overpromised and underdelivered. H, H doesn't let us promise anything same day anymore. <laughs> it's a rule. Yeah, she we don't do let that. It, she won't let it happen. Yep. Yeah, even if I have nothing on the calendar, nothing going on, which is rare, but let's just pretend there's nothing going on. I'm busy. I'm busy. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to get back to you on the schedule. Like it's yeah. just how it has to be. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. Um, how to stay motivated? Was that the yeah. next one? How do you stay motivated? So this has evolved. Um, and current in my current situation, I'd say it has, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm living in Costa Rica, um, which is, which was an experience in itself to make this happen. But, um, I'm pretty, it's pretty motivating just to wake up here and, and realize that like the reason I can even be here, uh, and still work is because of the field that I'm in and the work that I do and that I could actually probably go do it somewhere else too. I could go back to the States. You know, I, I just think it's a really, it's a lot of people in this industry take for granted, like, how much flexibility it can give you. Phil was making this point too, you know, about like who you can work for, but also like where you can do it. So that's, that's super motivating to me. And, and then like just being in 
having some input and impulse over your own destiny, like if things aren't going well, that that's super motivating for me. And what's next? Um, what's next? Uh, so I think that we have, we have yet to realize our full potential as an agency. Uh, I mean, I think we have some awesome examples in the room right now here of people with great processes, with great experience, with great teams. Um, I think we have little pieces of each of those, but I don't think we're, I don't think we're as good as we could be. Um, and, and so I want to be there. I also want to make sure that my work-life balance dial is appropriately set where, where it is now. I'd like to hold to that. Um, I think we've got a really good balance um, in place at the moment, and I, I don't want to lose that. Um, if anything, I want to improve it. Um, and then two more things. Like I would like to basically be serving somewhere between 30 and 40 absolutely amazing clients, like no weak links. Um, I don't really, so that's a deliberate move to go down from the hundred or a couple hundred, right? Um, so we want to we wanna just work with less people and serve them better. And then on a personal level, I'd like to write more. Um, I've, I've got a bunch of drafts in Medium, everything from... <laughs> Uh, like I had a recent life-threatening experience with my best friend on a kayaking trip, which, which I'd like to unpack in writing, uh, uh, in, um, like the experience of fathering twins, the experience of, of moving your family to another country. Like there's a lot of topics I could kind of get into and I think, I think I could express in writing more. So I'd like to open up on that front. Awesome. <clears throat> this has been good. This has been I mean, just educational for me too, just listening to you guys. So I really appreciate you being here on the podcast and sharing your, your experience and bringing the value that you guys bring. So um, what I'll do, everybody listening, I'm going to put all of these guys' stuff in the description. So, you know, Devin from Engine 8, Devin, I'll, I'll put your website and if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, is email the best way to get a hold of you, Devin? Yeah, you yeah, you can write us on there. Um, I do use Twitter, not as much as I used to, but at Devin Real, you can do, uh, yeah, you can get me on there, but it'll be in the show notes. Awesome, awesome. And then, uh, you know, Phil with Creation Chambers, I'll put your info in there. What's, what's the best way people can get a hold of you, Phil? I'd say email. Okay, awesome. And then Brent, my, uh, I just want to say this one time. My theosophical guru <laughs> from Essential Studios. How would uh, what's the best way people get a hold of you, Brent? Oh, so you can call the number on our website. I like that kind of dynamic yeah, real time exchange. A sales <laughs> answer. I love it. Call, call <laughs> me. Don't waste my time. <laughs> awesome awesome well guys i appreciate it this has been awesome uh don't forget to like this podcast throw a review uh and just i'm throwing a few of you under the bus a few of you listeners right now you guys that email me and tell me to do more podcasts i don't see your names on the reviews so if i don't see your name on the review and you're asking for more podcasts i'm bus rolling your ass next time so leave a review hit the like button gotta scratch my back or i ain't scratching yours thanks guys have a great day Chicken, 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 chicken
steam, we push the needles like that. Check a motion through the microphone ball. On track, moving pen has my toe to the Freedom train, we bust down the door. Every race, color green, that bangs, that pop apart, motivate. Check. And a tone higher there on the loose. I used to shovel the coal, now I lamp in the caboose. Like the golden goose, I give life that makes cream. When I squat on the track with unique soldier lean. Like I be the answer to what it all means. So quit your day job if you're betting against the team. You're back. Uh-huh. So lean your whack ass back. Cause ain't too many in the world throw a dart like Smooth Black. black. Demolition man, the trailblazer. Leaving the future in the hands of enlightened consumers. My style be bending my